Hello, Ella. <laughs> Hello, this is the Cold Pizza Party podcast, and that's a dog. I'm Adam. I'm Lubitsa. And today we're going to talk about some stuff, politics and TV, maybe mostly TV. Uh, if we need to, we'll do a more applicable intro after we know what we've talked about. Okay, so the first topic I want to talk about today is Vanderpump Rules. This is a reality show that's been on the air for, I think, four seasons. I just started watching it recently, but I, I went down the rabbit hole and, and binge-watched basically all four seasons, um, so I'm very up on what's happened in Vanderpump Rules. And so we can talk about it a little more, but basically it's a show about waiters working at a restaurant owned by Lisa Vanderpump, who's one of the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And there's a lot that happens and a lot that we could talk about in regards to this show. Um, but the main thing that it's really made me think about is at the exploitation of workers, alienation of workers, and like especially from their product, definitely class, and also the sort of like what makes capitalism work and the like uncounted costs of capitalism that make it seem efficient. But when you look at it through the eyes of workers, it is often much less efficient. Yeah. It's also made me think about the ways in which sometimes reality TV is just better than scripted TV. Oh, definitely. So maybe we can touch on that a little bit. Yeah, I definitely think we should talk a little bit about the what makes it a good reality TV show? Because I, I have to say I was really surprised that it is a good reality TV show. One of the reasons I hadn't watched it is because it just looked so dumb to me whenever I saw any of the people from it. Like on, well, the only times I, I had only seen one of the, the, I keep wanting to say characters, but I guess cast members. Characters is good. <laughs> no, characters works. I had seen one of them on like a random episode I caught one time of, watch what happens live and he just seemed like such an ass and I just thought like this sounds like a stupid show and it is obviously a show full of stupid people <laughs> yeah I, I think the first season of this show is like classic reality tv just about as good as it can get or you know like a great example of the format I don't know what else I would pick except something for like historical reasons like first season of survivor but I don't know like what reality TV is even as good as the first season of Vanderpump. Yeah. So, okay, let's start there. Let's start with why this is a good TV show and why I think we sometimes really value reality TV, even if it is seen as a, like a, a more trashy medium than prestige television. So I think like what you're saying about the first season is absolutely right. You know, the first season is basically the story of this group of friends. They all work at the same restaurant, Sir. Sir, which, by the way, stands for Sexy Unique Restaurant, which is the <laughs> dumbest thing. Another reason I was not interested in watching this show early on. I thought it just meant like in French, like S-U-R. On, yeah, on right. top Sur of. Sur la table. Yeah. On the table. <laughs> yeah, that's a great That's a great name. Yeah. But I, Well, I think there's like a company called that. I think my mom used to get their catalog. Okay. <laughs> but that's so aspirational because it's like on top. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I know. But no, that's not. That's Apparently, it's just sexy, unique restaurant. Trashy. Yeah. But uh, so basically. Lisa the Vanderpump is like the richest trashy person on TV. <laughs> <laughs> she would not want to hear you say that, darling. <laughs> yeah, she's British. So I think we're fooled into thinking she's classy yeah. just because she has a British accent yeah. and money. A lot of money. Yeah. 
Okay, so the first season is basically we're introduced to this group of like, I don't know, six friends or something like that. And there's a couple at the center that's dating. But within like two episodes, they break up. She immediately starts dating. Uh, this couple is uh, Stasi and Jax. And they break up like two episodes in. Stasi is immediately dating some guy named Frank. And Frank tells her that while she was dating Jax a few months ago, he got a girl pregnant in Las Vegas. And the whole rest of the season, a bunch of other shit happens. But all along the way, there's like a like legit mystery of like, did this happen? And half the friends are or more than half are on his side and do not believe it because this outsider, Frank, is the one who told Stasi this. And Stasi and some other people who work at Sir, who are like secondary characters, they actually believe that this did happen. And so it goes on all season and there's things that make us believe it did happen and didn't happen and whatever. There's a lot of other drama. And then spoiler alert, we find out that it did happen. And Jax is clearly a psychopath who is insanely good at lying, looking people in their eyes and using them basically it's like actually incredible like I wish I like had more of a psychology background to like have more to say about this guy beyond just like I read yeah. part of the psychopath test <laughs> I don't think I finished that I don't know why but anyway um so that's that's that show but what's really cool about it is that everything is like really high stakes like their friendships are all really on the line like people are really emotionally invested in what's happened to to them to their friendships you know they're really friends yeah. at least in season one and most of them work together and it's like three couples who are friends together yeah. until Stassi and Jax break up and then it's two couples and two friends who used to date yeah, and for me, what was um, actually the moment that I was like, whoa, I am very into this show was actually season two when, so it turns out that not only, there's just going to be spoilers like there are is every episode with our show, but this happened like three years ago, so you're fine. So it turns out that Jax not only got some girl pregnant in Las Vegas while he was dating Stassi, he also had sex with Stassi's best friend, Kristen, while he was supposedly trying to get back together with yeah. Stassi. She's one of the two couples I was mentioning. She's, right. yeah. So she and Tom had previously been dating. And then there's a scene on the beach where Tom comes to confront Jax about what happened. And it is honestly like heart wrenching. Like it's, terrible to see this guy who's been cheated on by a guy he considered his best friend and his girlfriend apparently it happened like while he was in the other room one of the times they cheated on him and he asks all these like really detailed questions like you might if you were cheated on like did you use a condom who started it how long did it happen when did it happen why did it you know and it's just like it's so honest like it just felt like one of the most honest things I've ever seen on TV it felt like I felt bad watching almost because it was like whoa this is like really intimate like this is like an intimate moment between two friends that's really difficult and they're like just trying to like navigate what the hell happened and we are seeing it in a way that you know no scene written by someone could have captured that like raw pain and emotion especially that was in like tom sandoval's face and his heart and like i mean it, it was 
pouring all over the screen. And you could tell also that Jax, even though he was like trying to like not feel bad, his way of like dealing with the fact that he felt bad was to just like shut down. And it was really interesting to watch these two completely different humans, one so emotional and one so closed up, trying yeah. to interact and be friends still. Well, his char- Jax's character coming through in this scene is part of what makes it so interesting and raw because like you were saying, so like one one thing about this show, especially season one and two, were directed by a documentarian who had never done reality TV show before. And they do an excellent job crafting these characters. So Tom is a is kind of an airhead doofus, but uh turns out to be like the most earnest person on the show by far. Yeah, he's definitely like he's a little, it's surprising because you don't see it coming, but he's a little bit like the moral center of the show. Like he remains a loyal friend, a good boyfriend. Like when his girlfriend who cheated on him is accused of cheating on him, he like actually stands up for her against his friends even though he just dealt with cheating allegations himself i don't know it was very well even after he finds out it's true he still stands up for her against yeah. his uh, their other friends but um he's the reason we didn't watch the show because he's the character yeah. you saw on watch what happens live and he comes off so dumb and full of himself yeah but so that's that's you know not a completely rare character that sort of person but it's it's constructed really well but jacks is a character unlike once i've seen on tv before because his story arc was that maybe he cheated, he was trying to win Stasi back, and then he, it turns out, was he's constantly lying, and by the time they're on the beach here, he's kind of accepted that he's always lying to people, and that he doesn't have the normal human emotions that other people have, and he's like seeing a therapist, and trying to figure out how to like live in the world as somebody who might be a, a sociopath, you know? That's, if you read between the lines, like exactly what's going on. So he's telling Tom, like, I honestly don't feel bad. I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, I I cheated on here. Here's what happened. And I could say I'm sorry, but I wouldn't mean anything if I said that to you because I don't feel it. It's just these are the kinds of things I do. And that is not anything I've seen on TV, especially from a scripted show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, a scripted show would never do that because scripted shows are always really afraid that you're not going to like the characters, yeah. you know? And in this case, it, Jax was just like, I don't regret it. I don't... It was He was just basically like, I needed to fuck. Like, <laughs> and it wasn't even like that he was like trying to be glib about it. He was just... It was so matter of fact. Like, no, I just didn't even think about he like tom asked him like did you think about like our friendship or like because they used to live together and like i mean they've they're it's not they're not just tv friends they're like legitimate friends who have like lived together they actually like know each other from way back before they even lived in la they lived in knew each other in miami and i think even lived together in miami so these are like friends going back years and years and years and he's like asking him like did you even think about our friendship and Jax is just like no yeah. And Tom, like, cannot believe it. That's what was so interesting was, like, Tom is obviously, like, who most of us identify with and relate more in that scene. So it's just really interesting to see him, like, obviously, like, hitting a wall where he just sees his friend in a totally different way and yeah. absolutely cannot understand him. If there were a scripted show, that if this were a scripted show, there's no way they could come up with this. Yeah. Because Tom is the good guy. He's emotional and... What you would do in a scripted show is have Jax either recognize that he was wrong and like break down and get emotional or prove himself to be a complete 
villain asshole in yeah, that moment. But also, by the way, like Tom is the good guy, like in this moment. Yeah. We found out earlier in the season that he did cheat on Kristen yeah. also. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so that's what why I like this show. It's like there in a lot of cases there's basically no one to root for, but every everything is like pretty real. And it's like surprising. Like these people don't seem to have a filter. A lot of times when you watch like um the real housewives, you can tell like in the back of their minds they're like calculating how much Twitter hate they're gonna say for yeah. doing or uh, get for doing or saying something. And in this show, like I don't know if it just they didn't have like a super high awareness of social media when they started or if it's because they're always drunk. Mm -hmm. But whatever it is, like they don't have that calculating filter, you know, like they are not worth they're in the moment. They are interacting with their friends in the moment. They're not considering what's going to happen later on social media. Maybe now in later seasons, they're uh, going to start to obviously like every time they do a reunion Andy's like Twitter said, you know, mm -hmm. so I'm sure they're going to start to do that even more. But especially in the early seasons. Yeah. I would say like especially season one and two are like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, I think that has a lot to do with class and we'll yeah. get into that well, in a minute. We get... Well, I just want to say more about it as a reality oh, show okay. and enjoying reality shows. But r real quick, like, so it's different from Love and Hip Hop where they don't have a filter because those women know how to construct an identity, most of them, and how mm -hmm. to present themselves. So they act like they don't have a filter, but everything they do is calculated. But on Vanderpump it's like a Rules, performance. Yeah. I mean, they the when they talk, the things they say, it's it is like a performance. Like everything. I mean, the way they're dressed, like it's like armor. You know, like they're and I feel like a lot of times in Love and Hip Hop, they're like always ready to like go to battle. I mean, metaphorically yeah. usually, <laughs> but you know, it's very different. They may seem like they don't have a filter, but I think they're constantly thinking actually in the back yeah. of their heads, like, what can I get out of this? Like, what am I going to come off looking like? Yeah, yeah. You know. But on Vanderpump, at least season one and two, they don't even know how to do that. And I think that's part of what makes it better. But really, if you enjoy scripted shows about relationships, right, which yeah. makes up a huge proportion of fictional television, you should just be watching this instead. Um, like the, what what I would compare it to is Gossip Girl because it's a small mm. group of friends who are always betraying each other and have these personal and relationships. They're super attractive and yeah. they're young and when they're not wearing their sir uniform, they're always wearing like cool, expensive clothes that like yeah, you know, you would like like to own but probably won't spend the money to buy. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen most of Gossip Girl, if not all of it. I think you've seen all of it. Yeah. So. So just trust us when we tell you this is better. I mean, I don't even remember what happened on Gossip Girl most of the time. If you asked me oh, yeah. broad story arcs, I'd be confused. I don't remember. But Well, it also had to, with a, again, with a scripted show, like one of the things is it has to keep getting bigger, you know? And they can't introduce like new characters. Or if they do, they really have to decide like how much they're going to introduce a new character, blah, blah, blah. Whereas like with this show, everything is they're like real relationships they're real people and when a new person comes in like that guy frank comes in well stassi's dating frank so it's not up to like the producers whether they're gonna add a new character i mean they might not let frank like do a confessional interview one-on-one -on -one, whatever you want to call it type scene after the show air or after they have like the whole um season done but they will show frank being frank they will show Frank and his influence on Stassi and 
I mean, just the reality of how TV works, a scripted TV show, like they're like, uh, do we want to add a new character? How much money do we have to pay this actor? Yeah, how much insurance do we have to, you know? Like... Yeah. But if you're going to watch Gossip Girl or a show like that, you're doing it for the characters and for the plot points, which the plot points are all about their relationships together. And the clothes. Okay. And the clothes. Fine. But um, like what I, I was trying to when I was kind of preparing this a little bit, I was trying to think, well, I'm already on the side of reality TV. But if I'm going to make the argument for scripted TV, what allows scripted TV to be better when it's trying to do the exact same thing, you know, mm -hmm. relationship drama? And my thought was, well, on a fictional TV show, you can have sort of this like orchestration by like Blair and Gossip Girl, mm -hmm. who's like scheming and setting something up and then. You also have these moments where there's a big reveal where a secret comes out and, you know, you get a lot of shots of people's faces and their reactions. Right. Vanderpump has that because Stassi is like a real life Blair in this show. She orchestrates, she manipulates and she orchestrates the people around her um, in an impressive degree. Like two or three times she gets exactly what she wants out of Jack's um it, it's it's really yeah. impressive and real I, I agree but what makes it better is that um it's real life so yes she is like surprisingly good at manipulating the people around her but sometimes she tries to manipulate shit and it totally backfires on her or blows up in her face and that's what makes it more yeah. interesting and high stakes because it's like real life yeah, yeah. not every plan goes according to plan totally. you know well i think that in gossip girl that started happening to blair like three or four years in. Yeah, yeah. But to Stassi, it happens like midway through season two. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing about reality is they don't feel the need to draw out storylines forever yeah. because you don't have to come up with what's going to happen next. You just film and see what happens and you cut some boring stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The amount of stuff, the, the amount of ground they cover in Vanderpump Rules is insane. Relationships are born, flower and wilt in like three episodes. Yeah. And it's in real time, like one month. Yeah. Well, maybe the last thing we'll say about this is what Tom Sandoval said in the like Vanderpump Rules Uncensored or whatever it was, where he said, you can watch a scene of me picking out a pair of shoes and you can watch a scripted scene of someone killing a dude. But the thing is, my scene is more high stakes because I have to live with a pair of shoes. <laughs> And I was like, damn, Tom Sandoval, you're making an excellent yeah, point. Yeah, that's like, a great point, actually. I actually yeah. agree with that, as yeah. stupid as that premise is. Yeah, like, that's like surprisingly insightful. Yeah. Okay, so one of the other things that you mentioned that I think we should transition into talking about is class. So we were talking about how this show is really unfiltered in, in a lot of ways and how a lot of these young people seemed much less aware of the fact that like people on Twitter were going to comment on what they were doing. And so they, they don't seem to be like calculating in the back of their minds, like the way when you're watching like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, for example, or New York, they like clearly are thinking about it all the time, about how they come off in every scene. Like it's, it's so obvious. In fact, some of the fights that happen on those shows are essentially fights about things they don't want to talk about on air it's like it's it's crazy because they have like decided before filming i know we're not going to talk about this i know that's so frustrating to me i i wish shows would be a bit more transparent about this reality tv show that we're filming is affecting these characters lives yeah. and here's how yeah but we were talking about 
this a little bit, you and I, and have definitely heard other folks talk about it. This idea, first of all, that like the sort of lower class you are, like social, socioeconomic class, let's say, the less of a filter you have in general, like when you're interacting. So like my example would be when we worked in Vermont pretty briefly, shortly after college, I worked at a job, kind of an entry level tech job. And I, a lot of people in Burlington are like expatriates from Massachusetts who went to good schools or, you know, decent schools and just want to live in a place where they can ski and whatnot. And I worked with some people like that and I hung out with those people and we had good times, but I never learned that much about them. Right. But I sat next to a woman who's like maybe mid thirties from sort of central Vermont where it's really rural and it's pretty poor there. And I know about her relationship with her father and her brother and how they could be abusive sometimes, but she also takes care of them. And she like, you know, cried and I consoled her and we never hung out outside of work. Right. And if you, if you grow up in an area where you deal with working class or lower class people, I mean, this happens all the time. Yeah. I think a big part of it is, um, this idea of like inner space versus outer space. Uh, not like outer space, like planets and Neptune and whatever, but like in wealthy neighborhoods, for example, your like space, like your home is large and there's a lot of space sort of to contain a family and all of the stress and pressures and dynamics that happen within a family. But when you have, I think like a lower class uh, neighborhood, the homes and apartments tend to be smaller. People don't have air conditioning. The windows are open. Arguments spill out onto the streets. Like, I think there is a sense of much less division between what is like your inner space, like your home, and the outer space, like the street. And so when someone is like a drunk, everyone knows it because everyone's living close. Their windows are open. They hear it they see it like i say like the arguments spill out onto the street whatever it is i mean obviously i'm i'm broadly generalizing here but that's like the way i i've like kind of read about it and like heard people describe it a little bit about why poor lower class people have less of a filter because it's like it's already out in the open you know it's whereas like you can live next to someone in a neighbor in a wealthy neighborhood who has a coke addiction and and never know about it because they make their mortgage payment they have a home where they can do all the blow they feel like doing that they can afford and they go to work in the morning you know you don't know like you just i and i mean i definitely feel like the neighborhood i grew up in like i i went to school with my next door neighbor and i didn't know anything about him or his family you know like there may as well have been an eight foot fence between us, you know, like it was like, I didn't see them. I didn't know about them. He was in my grade and I still didn't, I barely, barely, barely knew him at all. I think he gave, they gave me a school, a ride to school one time. You know what I mean? And it was like, we were desperate. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's a very different, like no one was, you know, outside sitting in their front yard, hanging out in my neighborhood. Whereas you go to like a lower class community and people are sitting on the stoop or they're hanging out on the porch or whatever. The indoor outdoor space is much more intermixed, you know? And people are just easy to talk to, you know, they want to, they want to talk to you. Yeah. You know, this woman I was talking about, I even know like that she like um, sci-fi alien based romance novels and she'd read those all the time like yeah 
And I know the plot lines of some of those stories. Okay. <laughs> <Okay. talk> to... <laughs> but this is not like a single example. Like people yeah. just act this way. And if you just um, grow up like in an upper middle class home and go to a good school and then get a job in New York City or something like that, you don't know that like at least 50% of Americans live this way. Yeah, and this goes to um, the Cracked episode that I actually shared on our Facebook page that talked about the difference between economic class and social class. And so when you grow up with like a certain social class and a certain set of values, like, you know, like to me, it's a little weird to like, you know, really talk to my neighbors now or whatever. And when a neighbor tries to engage me, I'm like, oh, okay, but I'm going to go because this is yeah. bizarre, you know? Yeah, I never. You gr because you grow up with you know, different values and like ideas about how different social interactions mm -hmm. should be. Yeah. Even if you change, like even though I make way less money, you know, we make way less money than my parents did. We live in a different neighborhood than the one I grew up in, but that doesn't change like the thing, the, the class that you grew up yeah. with, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up with much money, but you know, I don't talk about personal details at work yeah. like as a rule Yeah. and I don't open up much to people in general. Um, because well my parents went to college so i like yeah. internalized some sort of upper class aspirational values like being into obscure music or you know the fact that we drink um kind of expensive beer and stuff like that it's like those are upper class values even if you don't have money it's a different sort of social class thing to do yeah the best example from the cracked podcast was that um it's like try to imagine that character from the simpsons the redneck guy Cletus. Uh, Cletus. Imagine Cletus. You go into uh, you go into like a physics class at college, and he's your professor. Yeah. It's like instantly, instantly funny. But he could be a millionaire. He could be a physicist. But just because he has that accent and dresses a certain way, you can't imagine it. You would never hire him for that job. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to Vanderpump Rules, then you can tell especially in the first season when the cast comes in. Obviously, they're not at the level of the real housewives of Beverly Hills or New York. So already their filter is so much lower than all these rich people Bravo presents most of the time, basically. But even within the group, you can tell like some people, like I would say Sheena especially, for example, are lower class, you know, because you can just tell like by the way her hair is, her makeup, the way she dresses, especially when she's not working. Like it's um, very clear that she's lower, you know, lower middle class, whatever. I don't know exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then Stasi, who grew up with like a dad who's an architect and like went to an all girls private school, like the air that, that she gives off is I'm better than everyone, which is like basically a value she's imbibed by virtue of her class mm -hmm. and she like hates Sheena from the start and she says it's because oh Sheena is a home wrecker she slept with a guy who was married whatever but they continue to clash over and over again mm -hmm. and it's a couple different things but I think one of them is that she just literally thinks she's better than Sheena like yeah. without even consciously knowing that that's why and and one of the other things is that Sheena it has a much lower fil uh, filter. Like she'll just start crying as soon as she feels something. Whereas yeah. Stassi will like, like she's breaking up with Jax and he starts crying and she like yells at him and tells him, I will not let you make me feel bad about this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So she's like, fuck empathy. Like mm. you can't affect my emotions. Yeah. I decide my emotions. I'm better than you. Also, you know? when you say she carries herself that certain way, that's like Blair from Gossip Girl. Yeah. You know, you carry yourself a certain way and, 
people are drawn to it. The other friends, um, she like constantly had the girls on her side. She like what was that one where like Katie they have a big dinner for Stassi's birthday and Katie's just found out that Tom probably cheated on her and she's having a really hard time with it. And Stassi's yelling at her to not get upset at the birthday table and she just can't katie can't handle it she's about to cry so she leaves so she doesn't cry at the table and stassi goes and like chases her down gets katie to apologize to stassi and come back to the table (laughs) that's crazy and every other episode there's something like that where through the force of stassi's personality moved to i don't know follow her yeah i mean i think that there's some stuff like that like where it's like they can just feel that she is somehow worth following or worth more than they are because that's how she acts and i think this really illustrates that the crack podcast point of like you can make as much money or as little money but the class you grew up with is like still with you you know like so they're all servers at sir they're all making the same amount of money which is little yeah but stassi grew up in a different social class and she basically convinces all of them that therefore she is better than them. If you do watch Vanderpump Rules, don't skip the sort of behind the scenes episode at the end of the season because uh, there's there's great details about the process, including that Andy Bravo, uh, Andy Cohen was concerned that like we can't show their apartments because these are like poor people rooming in a tiny apartment and it's trashy. He was like, they have like 80s style popcorn ceilings <laughs> and like brown carpeting everywhere like he was like horrified like yeah. it's incredible and it's like I, like I'm like looking up at our ceiling yeah. and it's like not exactly popcorn but it's oh, got some kind of yeah. stucco whatever <laughs> they showed they showed a picture of uh the other tom in the kitchen and there's like no room for a camera to be in there with him and he's I don't know. Well, one dirt. of the guys, his kitchen table is basically, which includes like a, like an electronic, like either microwave or some kind of like little mini oven situation table. on the table. And the table and the electronic device are like on his balcony because there's no room in the kitchen oh, wow. for the table. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's like he's just getting by. And I know we've lived in places where we like essentially did things like that because mm-hmm. that's the space you have, yeah. you know. One of our first apartments didn't have any room for clothes in the apartment, so they were on the landing, and this was in the coldest part of Pennsylvania, (laughs) so we had to go, like, out into the cold weather to get clothes to dress ourselves in the morning. Yeah, that was terrible. You're just, like, so cold from the shower, and then you have to, like, literally, like, leave your front door, basically, (laughs) to, like, go into this, like, landing area that has no heating. Anyway, no one else finds this (laughs) as interesting as we do, but... Yeah, so there, I think there's definitely this element of class, and I think it's also complicated by the fact that Lisa is there, and she is obviously, she, you know, she has, like, whatever, multi-million dollar homes and all these restaurants that she yeah. owns. I think she had, like, 25 million. It came out recently. Does that sound right? So she's not, like, one percenter, but, yeah, you know, yeah, she's doing fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. She has swans. She has pet swans. Yeah, her house looks like a fancy boutique. Like, I mean, like, giant glass sliding doors. Like, I don't know. It's (laughs) it's crazy. But not just swans. She has, like, a mini pony, multiple mini ponies, and a pink house for the mini ponies. Okay, don't the ponies come into the house, too, basically? (laughs) 
So her poor housekeeper, you know, is yeah. like constantly cleaning up like horse oh shit. God. I remember that scene where she's like, oh, I have to cook dinner for everybody. Yeah. And they're coming over. And, you know, before everybody answer- enters the door, she's like posed with her housekeeper telling her exactly how to cook dinner and what yeah. to do. Yeah. <laughs> Just That's so she can. Dinner. <laughs> yeah. She's like in, in the monologue, in the monologue, the interview, she's like, oh, you know, I own a restaurant, but sometimes I just have to cook for myself. And she's just ordering her stuff. Oh, around. darling, I get so bored of going to restaurants. I, <laughs> I live in restaurants. I work in restaurants. Sometimes it's so good just to, you know, have a meal at home, a home-cooked meal, darling, <laughs> that you, like, tell your housekeeper exactly how to prepare. Yeah, by, like, berating her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But anyway, um, it, when you watch her, obviously, like, scenes like that also make us very aware of her class. But when you watch her interact with the staff, I always notice how she for, she acts like, oh, she's above it all, staff you know? At the restaurant? Yeah. So, yeah, like, staff when, at Sir, the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. So whenever this, oh, yeah, yeah, right, because she has staff at her house. I was like, yeah, yeah, duh, the staff at the restaurant. What other <laughs> staff? No, she has other staff. Um. So when she's interacting with the Sir staff, the Vanderpump kids, basically, she always acts like she's above it all and like she has better ideas about how to comport yourself, you know, like how to behave than they do. And she always acts like they're like an embarrassment and they're foolish. And it's it's like it it drives me crazy because um that is all the class aspect right they are below her like the way that you know stassi thinks they're like below her well they're all so far down below her that she can't even be bothered with their problems but then she's also constantly inviting them to tell her their problems and pretending she wants to help them deal with their problems but obviously just like getting them to say shit on camera you know that is going to like make things worse yeah while she acts like she has no time for this drama yeah and it's like because that's how she makes money you know (laughs) like so it's just it's it's crazy because there's like this class element where she's like whatever but then there's also this like financial incentive where she's like constantly actually this old lady in the middle of these like you know not teenagers but practically like problems you know it's i don't know it's interesting the smile on her face too when it it's like a reunion and the two of the kids are fighting and it just pans to her or cuts in a shot of her real quick the smile on her face she's like serenely smiling yeah it's because she's just like counting how much money she's making in her head every minute that they're fighting (laughs) okay well since we're talking about lisa maybe we should talk a little bit about exploitation uh it's really hard for me to watch this show and not think about it because it's happening on so many multiple levels in front of us. So obviously there is the exploitation of any worker, which is that like Lisa's a capitalist. She has the funds because I don't know, she married a rich guy or she was an 80s video vixen and she saved her money, right? Whatever it is. The many multiple reasons she has the startup capital to build Sir. So she builds this restaurant and then she needs to populate it with servers and food and whatever. And every person she hires, she is exploiting because she wouldn't bother to hire a server if that server didn't 
essentially provide more value than what she's paying them because that's how she makes a profit, right? Um, she hires cooks and a chef and all that shit, and it's the same story, right? They provide more value. The chef, no matter how much she pays him, provides like uh, almost uh, – it's, it's a unique value. It's like literally priceless, yeah. right? Because each chef – brings their own vision for a menu, which essentially creates the feel of the restaurant and is like the the reason you decide to come back or not, you know, the flavor profiles that they put together, whatever. All this stuff is like very unique to that specific chef. So he's providing, like I say, like a indispensable and really priceless value. And she just pays him a certain, you know, fee every day or hour or whatever their agreement is. And in turn, she makes all the money basically so you have that exploitation happening on that level of just like any capitalist towards their employees but then you also have this added layer where lisa is the like like, producer yeah she's like a like major like beside like she andy cohen and like ken todd her husband Mm -hmm. are the producers of the show like the main major executive whatever she's not just a character she's not just running the restaurant she's running no the show yeah they like basically pitch the show so she's also making money now not only off of these by exploiting them like that but now she's exploiting them emotionally their relationships like right all this stuff like their entire lives everything that like makes them human everything we were just talking about about why this is such a good show what all the value is in watching this show like Tom got a paycheck for that scene. Probably the same paycheck he on the beach that we were just talking about. Probably the same paycheck he got for every episode. But the value of that episode, that moment alone, is like the reason I will continue watching this show until it is like run into the ground, you know? So again, it's like priceless. Like only Tom in that moment under those circumstances could have had that. No one else can replicate it. And yet he is just getting a tiny portion of what his value is because that again that's how our system operates it's not like lisa's like just an evil doer or something but that's really fucked up and then on top of all of that um as each of them like gets more famous or as the show gets more famous as a whole she then has people coming back into sir like guests from around america who go to la go to sir because it's like bravo disneyland and you will see jacks behind the bar or stassi doesn't work there now but whoever kristen katie one of them serving you a drink like so then then she's exploiting them (laughs) and their fame now on a on a third round you know what i mean like they're providing immeasurable value And people go to her other restaurants like Pump now too because now it's like Lisa Vanderpump. She's putting out the sangria. She's doing all this shit. And all of that is on the backs of these kids who get a paycheck. Whereas she will in perpetuity get paid as long as the show continues to run. So there's another (laughs) round. of They get some small like set bit of the pie. Meanwhile, as the pie grows, she she gets the excess. Yes. Yeah, and they are the only reason that pie continues to grow for her, whether it is people showing up to the restaurant to see them or... Well, it's really crazy to think that, okay, so she was exploiting their labor in the restaurant. 
then exploiting their emotional labor for the TV show. Yes. They are the whole TV show. Yeah. She shows up for like maybe 10 minutes of screen time over a season. Yeah. Right. And it's not about her relationships or her drama with not anyone. Really. No, not she at all. She tries to a little bit in the last season, but it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. But she has her own show where she has her own drama and her own relationships. So she's exploited their labor in the first place, then their emotional labor. Then their emotional labor draws customers. So she has them now put on an apron and take drinks to their table. And <laughs> on top of that, going along with that exploitation is alienation, right? Like, so, you know, workers are alienated from the product. Usually people think, oh, well, you as a factory worker make certain widgets and then you don't get to see the clock at the end or take home a clock at the end or whatever. But in this case, the labor, like when we're t talking specifically about the TV show, yeah. is their like emotional labor like we're talking about. But then they're alienated from the final product. So they just see how their entire lives for a year are going to be presented and they have no say in how yeah. that's going to happen, no say in how they'll say in how they will be perceived mm -hmm. um, by society at and, large. And how they'll be presented through the editing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So talk about exploitation and alienation. Like, mm -hmm. that's insane. It takes yeah. it to like a, I don't know, I can't, yeah. it blows my mind. You get alienated from your own self and your own persona. Yes, in fact, so I like fell deep into the rabbit hole of Vanderpump Rules and I started listening to Stassi's podcast, which I do not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> it you is, know what's good about it? She's really, really good at segueing into commercials. She is crazy good at it. Yeah, <laughs> she's the best I've ever heard, actually, when it comes to that. That's a great point. But she says a lot of stuff that is just like boring and not yeah. that interesting to me. But um, she was talking about how difficult it was to be so hated and to get so much hate and like how at some point you start to like question yourself and you're like am I I didn't think I I thought I like was a bitch but like not like a total evil bitch you know and like now I've been portrayed as like the villain and this evil bitch and she started you know she's sort of saying like that it makes her question like is she like that and she was talking to these two other women who do the Vanderpump Rules after show and saying like after like four years of doing this it and seeing yourself reflected back at you then on the TV show, it's really hard to know exactly what your actual character is, who you actually are. So it's, I mean, that is real emotional exploitation and alienation. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, especially because they're so young. Like, Stassi. Stassi is like 23 when the show starts. Yeah. Imagine if from the time you were 23 to the time you were 27, it was all recorded, broadcast. All the shit you went through was picked apart and dissected for the most entertainment value by people who have no vested interest in you or your how you are presented as a human being and then you see it reflected back to you and everyone on twitter and everywhere else yeah. is like yeah you do fucking suck you're yeah. not as hot as you thought yeah. like she's like gained weight since the show started but she's like not fat at all because she, she was super skinny she talked about how started. she gained weight because she was so poor yeah. when the show began that she wasn't eating enough she would eat like one meal at sir using the employee discount and yeah. then she would smoke cigarettes the rest of the time yeah. um so uh but she was like talking about how like people will tweet her at fat stassi which is like she was laughing about it and had a good attitude but i was just thinking like man that's insane yeah. because she like is not even close to no. fat now as she is she's 
beautiful. And the idea that like, there's all these people who are like parroting back to her what the producers presented and telling her this is reality is yeah. really bizarre. Yeah. So and it's funny know. too to think there's this whole secondary market living off of them, uh, you know, publishing like reality stars now are in gossip mags and things. Oh yeah, and of course there's blogs dedicated to it. Definitely. And then there's runoff value for Twitter and Facebook because people go there to talk about the show. Right, right. That's yeah. such a good point. Yeah, yeah. and they don't get they just get that paycheck, you yeah. know? In fact, on one of the podcasts, she was saying that she asked, I don't know, someone she knew at Bravo whether she was going to be this season because she wasn't in the whole season, whether she was going to be in two or just one part, one part of the reunion or two part because it was a three-part reunion. And um, whoever it was was asking her like, oh, why? Like, you know, maybe did you want to know how much airtime you have or whatever? And she's like, no, because if I'm in both parts, that's an extra paycheck. Yeah. So, I mean... That's all they're getting is a paycheck that still, however much money she's making, I mean, I'm sure it's more than a regular server, but it's obviously not a lot if she's still counting every paycheck, you know? This has to be Bravo's, it might be their most successful reality show. Probably. So I don't know. I, I thought that was like just really, really interesting. And then finally, the last part that I wanted to talk about was um, the uncounted costs of capitalism and what makes it interesting. So I think we hit on that a little bit. Like, for example, the emotional labor that they did is like, who can put a value on that? You know, that's like crazy, like to live like, I mean, who knows if they would have found out some of the things they found out about who cheated and how they cheated and what happened and if those relationships would have stayed together or broken up. You know, oh, if it wasn't for the show. Yeah. So so the emotional labor and, and the toll on them as friends on their personal lives is incalculable. I, I can't imagine going through something like that and having to fear like, okay, it's an, it's hard enough to figure out how as a person you want to deal with like being cheated on with someone that you've been together with for like five years. Yeah. But then you have to add on top of that how people will perceive mm -hmm. you. And and what, so what's the right way for me to act in this situation? How am I supposed to feel? How do I feel? How do I present how I feel? That is intense. Yeah, and all of that is a lot of fucking work that you have to do that no one's giving you a paycheck for. And then there's also just stuff like they show up to set. They wait while things get set up. They do their makeup. How much money do they spend on makeup, on clothes, on things like that just yeah. to look good for the show? No, it's not like they get a makeup budget that covers those costs or a wardrobe budget. Like I was saying, oh, I love watching Gossip Girl for the clothes when I was younger. Yeah, because they had like incredible clothes that it could never afford. But the thing is, when I was saying about these guys, too, it's like they also wear incredible clothes I could never afford. But they don't get a, a you know stylist there who's picking it out for the whose yeah. entire job in a normal TV show is to figure out what the characters are going to wear. That labor is all put back on the star, the stars, quote unquote. So there's time that isn't counted. There's all these like costs of just presenting yourself well that it's like, well, you're going to want to look good. You're on TV. We'll just put that cost on you. We don't have to pick up the tab for that. You know, any time spent on social media, they're essentially promoting the show. None of that gets factored in, I'm sure, into their paycheck. Right. They're expected to go on Watch What Happened Lives on the Vanderpump Rules After Show. None of that is a paycheck. There's like all this time that they spend, like anything they do to become more famous is going to make people go back and check out the show, right? Anytime anyone new hears of Stassi, they're at least going to learn 
that this show exists if they didn't know about it before. You know, there's all these kind of different ways with, that they're regularly adding value to the show that doesn't get counted at all. And this happens obviously in real life too. You know, I mean, I used to think about this all the time where it was like, I have to wake up in the morning much earlier than when I go to work to take a shower, to blow dry my hair, to put on makeup, uh, to so that I look like a normal presentable human being, you know? <laughs> Then, you know, you have to go to lunch. A lot of times you work too far from where you live to just go home for lunch. If you have to make, you could say, oh, I'll make a lunch at home. Well, that's still now work I'm doing so that I can be more. So that you can get to work. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and be there. Yeah, it's It's time I've taken away from my leisure time to get ready for work. It's just in a different way than when I blow dry my hair. It's like really every American should be compensated somewhat for commute time and costs. Yeah. I mean, there's like you're expected to check your email when you're not at work, or I certainly was expected to take a phone call any fucking time of the day or night. I mean, there's all these. I mean, you can go further, obviously, right? Like the factories, like, for example, that leave, like there were communities built around those factories. There were roads that had been built and maintained by the communities so that people could get to work in those factories. The building, what the fuck is everybody going to do with the building when they leave? There's a million costs. I mean, we're just talking about this show and pointing out like the interesting aspect to these costs because they're unique when it's a reality show. But I just want to broaden it out that like everyone knows this in their daily lives that capitalism isn't very efficient at all. It's just that we don't count most of the costs that would make it obvious to us Mm -hmm. that we are regularly picking up the tab as regular individual humans. Yeah. I want to get back to like calculating the excess value of their labor mm-hmm. emotional and otherwise that is is being extracted a bit here because um you know think about gossip girl again that show must have cost more to produce than vanderpump rules because they have extravagant sets beautiful fashion um these you know actors with names well that's part of it like but also gossip girl just the fact of putting it together because it's all you have to build sets right you have to rent a studio hire a stylist hire, hire stylist hire makeup hire gaffers and i don't know how all this stuff works vanderpump rules no way right it's just like a small camera crew and an editing team and the people who are in the show and i don't think gossip girl as a tv show would have made so much more for what uh what the cw Mm. than vanderpump rules makes for bravo right but so so like obviously we don't think that the kids in vanderpump rules should be the only ones who make money off of it There's a camera crew. There's editing. Also, you can argue like Bravo pays the bills for a lot of reality shows that don't take off, right? So they take a loss on some shows, presumably. So maybe Vanderpump Rules can cover some of that loss by being a success for them. But they must be siphoning so much excess profit from the kids on Vanderpump Rules. Because if you think about the actors of Gossip Girl, right? Blake Lively doesn't have a podcast where she's shilling for a, a wine company that send, sends you wine without labels from random wineries across the country, right? Okay, but that sounds like a good deal. If that company <laughs> wants to support us, I would be all in because I'm already interested. In or, um, or the two Toms from Vanderpump Rules in the new season have a meeting with a liquor company. Lisa Vanderpump Sangria Company. Wow. Yeah. And, um, which you know. Which we saw at World Market recently, which was just crazy to yeah. me. They want to just like lend their name basically and show up to some events and and uh, help the company make money that way and they'll make some money too. Mm. And they're like laughed out of the room for that suggestion. Yeah. They expect them to, I don't know what they expect out of them. They expected them to come with more than like, hey, I'm a valuable brand. We can yeah. pair together. 
and make money together. Yeah. And they laughed them out of the room for that. If Leighton Meester went into Lisa Vanderpump's liquor company and said, hey, put my name on a vodka, yeah. would they laugh her out of the room? But yeah. she would never even do that because she made bank on that show. Yeah. And that show didn't even capitalize on her at-home emotional labor or personality, right? Yeah, exactly. She clocked in, she clocked out. We don't yeah. know anything about Leighton Meester because of Gossip Girl. Yeah. So I would say there's two problems there. One is just social class. They get no respect because they're on a reality mm-hmm. TV show when they should. There's no reason they shouldn't be as respected well, as actors. And in anyway. fact, they're they're just to go back to this a little bit. They're expected to do so much more labor. So yeah. actually, I listened to a podcast called Watch What Crappens, which is actually what convinced me to watch Vanderpump Rules at all. If you're like really into reality TV and Bravo, you might want to check it out. And on that podcast, they had two of the guys who were on a different Bravo reality TV show called Newlyweds, which gets even less money than Vanderpump Rules because these people are even less famous. You know, they change it every year because it's about couples on th- going through their first year of marriage mm-hmm. and um, they had this couple that like lives in LA and they were talking about how they had to go and scout their own locations Jeez. and actually Stasi was saying how like half of Vanderpump rules like the first season or whatever when it's not when it's not at sir or whatever that they're hanging out it's like a couple different places that were the places that they hung out at Mm -hmm. and basically they like essentially did the scouting right it was like this is a cool place that we hang out at come film here and also one of those places sorry is owned by like lisa vanderpump's best friend who (laughs) she like brings on the show so So not only does vanderpump rules not have to build an extravagant set for chuck bass's mansion They, they go to an existing business that the producer owns and draw in extra money that way. Yeah, and yeah. the actors, that's why they don't get respect, what you were saying, because they're not, they're not, okay, they're not actors, whatever, they're reality stars, but they are expected to do so much of the labor that they're, they are essentially devalued, yeah. you know? They're expected, like we were saying, to do their hair, their makeup, their clothes, scout the locations, come up with storylines if they feel so inclined, yeah, yeah. essentially, like... Um, and by doing all that work, they're actually sort of devaluing themselves. It's a little bit like um, if you have like if you're a rich person and you have like a watch guy and all he does is fix watches, <laughs> you know, versus if you're just a regular person and your watch breaks, I don't know, and you just go to like Walmart or the mall or wherever where you can buy anything and everything. I saw a guy down the street from us who just nailed a sign to his tree that said he fixes watches. We would just go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But do you know what I mean? It, it devout the, the highly specialized labor is skilled labor that's valued, like the watchmaker, yeah. versus if you just are like going to a guy who is like, I don't know, a mechanic or whatever, just fixes a whole bunch of different things, jewelry maybe in general. There's like less value in that. Maybe I'm picking a bad example, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Sure, yeah. Or with computers, you know, like being a sysadmin who right. is a jack yeah, of all trades is the least paid yeah. position versus specializing in oracle right you only know how to work with a single product but for some reason you get paid more than somebody who runs the entire system that you depend on yeah so leighton meester is the oracle dba and these guys are like the sysadmins and they you know therefore their labor is actually devalued by the more work that they do you know the more skill sort of uh loosely based skills that they have i think that yeah that makes sense but also there's there has to be an aspect of just class on a social level not 
class money, like we we're saying no, the difference, definitely. social class, because we're the only ones who are talking about reality TV stars, as far as I know, as being exploited for their emotional labor. <laughs> Most people say they are whoring themselves for attention, right? Yeah, that's the that's the mainstream perspective. Yeah, or people, yeah, yeah, basically, or like they signed up for this. They knew what to expect. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think anybody could know what to expect. Yeah. So there's a huge class problem there. And also, it's not classy to watch reality TV, especially yeah. not Vanderpump Rules. Yeah, yeah. But it should be because it's it's way more compelling art than <laughs> Gossip Girl and shit. Well, yeah. that's not classy either. But it's way more compelling than Colony. Yeah. Or uh, I don't know. Whatever. Anything really. Yeah. It's, it's the best TV show we've watched in a long time. Season one and two. Anyway. Yeah. Maybe not the later ones. But also, they need to unionize. There needs to be like a reality star union. Yeah, That's why these amazing. actors get paid so much because yeah. they have the Screen Actors Guild, right? Definitely. Yeah. That's such a good point. And there's that profit is just sitting there yes. waiting for them to grab it yeah. if they unionize. You know, even Tom at one point said, we're like friends, the TV show, yeah. but real, Yeah. right? He probably said it in a funnier and dumber way, but... Uh, as is his want but um friends unionized and made exactly. a, what a million an episode each one of them yeah and they pushed more. to get phoebe included even yeah. though she had very little screen time and they they never developed her character at all <laughs> uh but on vanderpump rules they need they need to do that yeah, yeah no i think you're totally right because i think it's really important to look at it as a workplace and when you do that um, one of the things you notice watching those uncensored, I think it's like, I think it's called like Vanderpump Rules Uncensored season one or something. It's like the behind the scenes look we were talking about. The way that the producers talk about watching these uh, guys, the the cast, um, get ready about looking at their apartments, about the way they behave. You can that yes, they're fascinated and they're excited that they obviously found a great product, essentially, but they're also looking down on them as human beings. Yeah. They're looking down on them as vain, stupid, you know, I classless. Know. It's disturbing to me. Yeah, I mean, they're really looking at them as products, as specimens, and how are they going to package them to to present to us? And when when it's like that, it's like, yeah, they need to unionize because they are the ones with the least power and the whole thing is running on their back. And like their bosses do not respect them at all. Like it's when you look at it as like a workplace situation. So yeah. Is that everything we have to say about Vanderpump Rules? Yeah, I think I that mean, about think sums it up. <laughs> yeah. Watch it. Um all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. Okay. This has been a podcast, the Cold Pizza Party podcast. Uh, yeah, and if uh, any no-label wine store people want to sponsor us, I'm highly interested. <laughs> uh, one other thing is uh, Lubitsa is recapping Love & Hip Hop for Trash Talk TV, oh, yeah. which is actually a website run by one of the guys from Watch What Crappens that yeah. we mentioned. So uh, check it out, Love & Hip Hop recaps on TrashTalkTV.com. That's a lot of emotional labor, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.